We are uh, going to finish Habakkuk today. So we're in chapter 3. Remember the great prayer of Habakkuk. And actually, when you see the end of this, kind of the high point of it, it's kind of an amazing confession that Habakkuk makes. And uh, I want to connect it with the earlier parts of the book a little bit just to see what you think of, of how it forms this really interesting harmony at the end. Um, if you will remember, <coughs> when we talked, uh, we, we left off at uh, verse 13, right? We had just finished verse 13, and we're ready to start 14. Um, the first part of his prayer has parallels with stuff that we saw in, see in Deuteronomy chapter 33, uh, Moses' blessing to the people, and also Judges 5, uh, the song of Deborah after her great victory in which um, God is announced as doing the same thing, coming from the south, coming from Teman or from Sinai to the rescue of his people. And so I'm suggesting now that after seeing the vision in chapter 2 of what Yahweh is going to do, Habakkuk um, thinks back to uh these other moments in history and recalls them and speaks that kind of language. And you're going to see that. And so you see that throughout the first part. Um, and in the middle part of the psalm, from verses 7 to where we are now, <clears throat> then um, it seems as if he's moving from, I'm suggesting he moves from kind of these past acts to what's going to happen to uh Israel where he's at in his own day and time and in the future there um, so that he's connecting God's past acts with their present situation and how God is going to deliver them again. Again, it's kind of hard to tell. This has a lot of parallels Habakkuk 3 with other things like Judges 5, Deuteronomy 33 and also Exodus 15. If you remember in Exodus 15, um, they're celebrating the victory at the Red Sea. And the first part recounts that. But about halfway through that song, Moses seems to turn to the future, what's going to happen to the people as they enter the land. So there's a switch from looking at the past to the future. And it's, it's debatable as to exactly when that happens or, or if that's even indeed happening. But it seems to be the case. And so the same thing, I think, a case can be made that the same thing is happening here. He's turning from the past to the future. All right. So this is the last part after that cella um, at the end of verse 13 <coughs> that we're reaching. It's not an easy part of Hebrew to read, so we'll go through it as best we can um, and uh, uh, try to make it as, as clear as possible. So we're at verse 14 with uh, uh, Nakavta Bematav Rosh uh, Perazav Yis aru lehapitseni ali tutam kemol akol ani ba mistar. Okay. Nakavta, you pierced, or you pierce, if, if we're kind of looking at his present future actions. Um, from Nakav, it's a simple call. You pierce by means of or with matav, with his rods, <coughs> with his staff. Again, that's kind of a weird expression. All right. The head of Perazav. Okay, I want you to look at that word. That's a hapox. Only occurs here. All right. Two possible meanings for it. 
The one that a most recent translator suggests is that it is based on an Arabic root, um, which then means leaders, all right? Leaders or military leaders, all right? Um, notice the, you know, just for your kind of information about this, notice the form of that. The text has you want, wants to, you to read that. In, in other words, the consonants, um, if you just follow the consonants, you'd read it as a singular noun. His, like Suso, Suso would be Parazo or something like that, um, his leader. But notice that the Masoretes wants you to read this as if it's a plural noun. Perazav, which is why you have that kamatz under there. You have that little note at the left. Uh, notice the uh, Masoretic note. They want you to read it as a plural, all right, which uh, makes some sense here. So you, so you pierce with his own weapons, I suppose, the head of his uh, leaders. All right, again, kind of recalls Judges 5, and it's talking about the enemies of Israel. Okay, Yis'aru, those who storm. From Sa'ar means to storm. Those who rage against, those who storm. Um, to hapitseni, to scatter me. Putz, this is a hiphil infinitive construct from putz. It means to scatter. Um, some translations suggest to destroy me. All right. Uh, again, notice you're just getting a strange combination of words, very terse syntax, uh, makes it difficult. But the Masoretes wants you to pause with the Atnach there. All right. So again, you, as talking to Yahweh, you pierce with his own weapons, with his own staffs, <coughs> the head of his leaders, those who storm to crush me, to scatter me, literally. All right. Ali Zutam, that means arrogance. Their arrogance. Ali Zut is another hapax. Their arrogance, and uh, um, yeah. So their so their arrogance, Kemo, is like Leekol, is like to one who eats the ani, eats the poor person, the afflicted person, ba mistar in the secret place. So ba mistar is the preposition bait plus the noun mistar, which means secret place. Le'ekol is an infinitive construct, and ani is a simple noun that means uh, an afflicted person, a poor person, afflicted one. So um, their arrogance is like is likened to one who eats or devours an ani, a humble person, a poor person in the secret place. In other words, notice how he's characterizing the enemies of Israel as those who um, have no compassion on the vulnerable people, poor people, um, and they uh, crush and oppress them in secret. All right? Which was a theme, which is a theme in other prophetic books, too, as far as characterizing the enemies. You know? All right? Any questions on verse 14? Yes? Oh, the um, hapax. Yeah, hapax legomenon is Greek for spoken once or said once. Uh, legomenon, lego, from or legomai, so once said, which means uh, it's, it's uh, only used once in the whole Old Testament. In uh, Kaler Baumgartner, you'll see the, if it's a hapax word, you'll see the meaning, and then you'll see a little cross there. That little cross tells you 
this is the only place that it occurs. Yeah. Good. Any other questions? All right. Um, verse 15. <laughs> Here's a little easier. <laughs> Thank heavens. Darak tabayom suseka chomer maim rabim. Okay. You tread in the sea with your horses. Again, notice the imagery of Yahweh as this warrior that's coming down. You tread in the sea with your horses. Chomer, now there's a common word that, that means clay, but chomer is also means, the noun chamar can also mean, there's about four different meanings for chamar. Chamar, one of them can mean to um, foam, like the sea's foam. So here, this is normally taken as a noun, the foaming of many waters. See, So you step in the sea, you tread in the sea with your horses, um, something like in the surging of many waters. Okay, Or there is a surging of many waters. In other words, maybe he puts the sea into confusion and, and tumult. All right? And that's, okay, this is kind of the end of, the end of this section in which he's describing this vision about what Yahweh's going to do. And now is his reaction in verse 16. And this is one, this is the famous verse, one of the most famous verses in Habakkuk and in the prophets, okay? So verse 16. Shamati vatirgaz bitni lekol zalalu sefatai yavorakav vaatzamai vatachtai Ergaz asher anuach leyom zara laalot laam yegudenu. Okay, I heard and bitni and my beten my bowels my beten trembles vatirgaz. So I I have heard and my inward parts my bowels tirgaz tremble. Okay, lekol at the sound. Zalalu sefatai. At the sound, my lips zalal. My lips quiver. Right, so notice, uh, just from that line, what kind of emotion is he expressing? Fear. Fear. Yavo right, rakav. Um, rakav is rottenness. Rottenness comes into atzamai, into my bones. Now, think about how Habakkuk was at the beginning of the book to how he was now. At the beginning of the book, would you think that Habakkuk, would you characterize Habakkuk as afraid? No. What was he? Yeah. He was bold, arrogant, almost outrageous, right? Some, a lot of people have suggested close to blasphemy is the way he was questioning God. All right? So notice that, I, like I said before, I think the whole book is about the formation of Habakkuk, the move of Habakkuk from arrogance to humble fear. And so you have this exchange with God that's very bold at the beginning of the book. And then Yahweh says in 2 verse 4, one who is puffed up, his soul is not upright, but the just man lives by his faith. It's Adik. So the implication is that that's not what Habakkuk was doing. And so it causes Habakkuk to question his own Zadikness. And then Yahweh comes in the rest of chapter 2 with that vision of judgment. And now Habakkuk finally gets the message. And so when he sees it, notice his experience is much like Job at the end of the book when God reveals himself. What does Job do? I repent in dust and ashes. 
So notice how Habakkuk is characterized. See, so notice it's the humbling of Habakkuk um, in these words, all right? So he says that, and now notice there's no, I'm going to, I'm going to, like at the beginning of verse 2, if you will remember, he says, I'm going to take my stand, I'm going to stand, and um, I will uh, take my stand on the matzo, on the fortified place, and I will look to see what God's going to say to me. Now notice what he says in verse 16. Right where I am, ergaz, I will tremble, or I tremble. All right, so he's not going to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm, there's not that attitude anymore. Okay? Asher, so notice there's an knock after Ergaz. Okay, so, and in my place, Tachtav, I tremble. Where Anuach, I will remain. Remember, Nuach, the word is simple call, impact, imperfect from Nuach, where I will stay, where I will Nuach, where I will rest. Leh Yom Tzarah. For the day of trouble. All right. Now notice how he follows. For the day of trouble, la alot, to come upon, this is an infinitive construct from Allah, where I will rest for the day of trouble, to come to uh, the people. Okay. Now, good means to attack. Okay. To come to the people who. Yegudena, who will attack us. All right, so notice what he's saying. In my place, I will stand trembling. Ergaz, notice the mood. Where I will anuach, where I will rest for the day of trouble, um, for the coming to the people who will attack us. All right. Well, I think so. I think, yeah, I mean, right. Right. So you have this fear, and yet you have this, I'm going to rest. So he's not basically, he's basically he's going to do nothing. See? Um, he's going to wait. Um, I don't know, yeah, you know, how big is his sense of peace? I think you can make a case with this word that there is both that, you know. There's a little tension there that maybe is created by that word. Right. Okay, does anyone have any questions through verse 16? Okay, now we get to the biggie, verse 17. tifrach bagenafin. zait u lo asa okel. Okay, let's just stop there. Key. For a fig may not Tifrach may not bloom, so the fig tree may not bloom, and there may be no yevul produce on the gefanim on the vines. Okay, kichesh is a pl from uh, which means to deceive. So the maasezait, the work of the olive tree, might deceive, and the shedemot and the fields may not make okel, food. All right? Let's finish this verse and then go back. Um, gazar miklatzon. A gazar means to cut, and it's used impersonally. One may cut the zone, the flock from the mikla. A mikla is another rare word, again, Arabic. 
he, you're getting kind of Arabic, an Arabic flavor to these, the language here. Um, there seems to be that kind of dialectical tinge in this part of the psalm. It's kind of weird. So one may take the flock from the stall, mikla, stall. And there may be no cattle by refatim. Refet is another hapax. You've had about three or four here. And it means stall again. And uh, again, that is based on an Arabic cognate. Okay? And there may be no cattle in the stalls. But now notice what he says in verse 18. Va'ani Yahweh eloza agila belohe yeshi. But I... In Yahweh, Eloza, I will exult. That's a call imperfect. All right. First common singular. I will agila, again call from the root gil. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. All right. So notice as we're going through 17, most translators translate the first part uh, as a conditional sentence or as a concessive. So they will translate, although the fig tree uh, does not bear fruit and there is no produce in the vines, even though the work of the olive tree, kichesh, deceives or fails, and even though the fields do not make food, even though the flock is cut off from the mikla, from the enclosure, and there are no cattle, there is no cattle in the stalls, comma, I on Yahweh, in Yahweh will exult. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. So how is he living here? By faith. See, notice that um, um, he becomes the tzaddik who lives by his emunah um, at the end of the book. All right. So, so uh, kind of everything changes, and he, it's like he sees the light. See? It's really interesting. Um, and so those who make an argument that this is not part of the book or that it's kind of incoherent, I think are missing the kind of whole theological message of the book and what happens to Habakkuk. So, I mean, you kind of can characterize it with Job in that way, I, like I said before. All right? Um, any questions through 18 about anything? All right? All right, uh, verse 19. Yahweh Adonai Cheli Vayasem Raglai Ka Ayalot Ve'al Bamotai Yadrikeni. Yahweh um, Adonai, my Lord, uh, is Cheli, is my Chael, is my strength. Vayasem, what's the root of Vayasem? Seem. And he makes Raglai my feet as Ayalot, as the Ayalot, as the rams. And on Bamotai, my high places, Yadrikeni, he will make me walk. This is the Hifil from Darak. Um, in verse, the first word of verse 15, you had the call to walk. Here's to cause to walk. So and on my high places, he will make me walk. All right, so you have this great um, expression of faith at the end of the book. Uh, that, that is just kind of an, a, a great, I think, closing, especially in light of how we have translated the first part of the book. So notice that throughout the book, God is working on him the way he talks to him. All right. um, the last words, 
it's kind of interesting. To the choir director, you normally see that at the beginning in the psalm superscription or titles. To the choir director, bingi no tai, a negi note if you translate that as strings, um, on my strings. All right, whatever that means. So you have basically uh, at the beginning of the psalm, the prayer of Habakkuk the prophet uh, to the tune of shigyo note, whatever that means. Okay, And then this is kind of the instruments that's going to be played on. So you have directions for how it's to be performed in the book. And who knows if those were added you know, shortly after Habakkuk so that uh, directions for uh, what you should do with this liturgically, um, no one can be sure about that. It's very interesting. All right. Okay, good. Does anyone have any questions about the grammar syntax of the book? Anything or theologically? The very last? Okay, the small one, the Masoretes always counted stuff. So, Sekum uh, Ha Pesukim, the sum of the Pesukim, the verses, is Chamishim uh, 50 and Shesha 6. So, I think that they, at the end of every book, they have kind of statistics like that. All right. All right, anything else? All right, good. What we're probably going to do next week, then, I thought we'd just go on and do Zephaniah because that will give us two 7th century prophets and you'll be able to compare Habakkuk with Zephaniah as far as content. Remember, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah are kind of the three of the minor prophets that are 7th century right before uh, the exile. And uh, so you'll get to see now the difference between Zephaniah and Habakkuk. Zephaniah is a great, another very interesting prophecy that we kind of overlook and don't think about too much. So it'll make a great uh, thing for us to do this quarter, and we'll be able to get through it. It's only three chapters, notice. So we'll be able to get through most, if not all, of it this quarter, and we'll have uh, two of the uh, 7th century minor prophets kind of down. And uh, uh, so that'll be fun for us. All right? So you guys can look forward to that and tell your friends and neighbors to come to Hebrew Club. Oh, don't every. And have a good afternoon. Take care. Oh, when was he born? Really? So they're home already, right? No, St. John. They're still in Austin? Yep.